Welcome to Look What She Built, where we show you examples of what an iconic woman leader looks like. I'm your host, Jamie Rowe, and I'm so excited to have you here. I created Look What She Built because I want to celebrate the bold, the brave, and badass women who are doing business in their own way. In this podcast, we're going to interview and celebrate these women business owners, as well as bring on experts that can help us dive deep on topics like sales, self-care, money mindset, and more. So let's dive in and show the world what an iconic woman looks like. Hello, everyone. This is Jamie Rowe from Look What She Built podcast. I have Whitney McDuff with me today. How are you, Whitney? Hello, hello. I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about you, and then let's then we can get started here. So, everyone, Whitney, she works with purpose-driven leaders to build visible, credible, and profitable brands through public speaking and PR opportunities. With clients showcased on stages around the world and recognized by Forbes, ABC, NBC, CBS, Marvel, ESPN, Newsweek, USA Today, and the Huffington Post, all the letters, right? Uh, Whitney guides leaders on how to make a meaningful impact through the power of their story. She is also, also the author of two best-selling children's books, The Lolly Tree and Where the Lollies Go, um, Whitney, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, Me too. So I have a question. You look so adorable. If anyone's watching on YouTube, you can see Whitney right now, beautiful and blue. Her books are categorized by color, which I used to do too. I don't, when I originally met you a few years ago, I had all my books uh -huh. colorized. And I think that was like, oh, you colorize your books too. Yes. This is the most Pinterest mom thing I've ever done in my life. I mean, we took all the books down when we were moving and it was right as COVID was happening. So I was like, if we're going to be online for the foreseeable future, I need to give people something pretty to look at. So yes. there came the color-coded books. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. Um, um, so I'm curious, Whitney, you are someone who helps someone share their story. Um, and you've worked with a lot of really successful women. You yourself is a very successful woman. And I'm always curious, people sometimes have morning routines or night routines. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have kids mm -hmm. too. So talk to me a little bit about either one. Do you have a night routine, morning routine? What Both. Like? Yeah. So what's going Both. on? And I did it for years and it was a game changer when I developed them. As many women know, you know, when you tack kids into the mix, it's, it shakes things up a lot. And the morning routine, especially for me, is critical to how my entire day runs. I wake up very early. I need some me time before the day really starts. I've got two young children, a five and a three-year-old. So once they are up, it is the, the best chaos, just getting everything ready and all the things. And then I go straight into my work day. So when I wake up in the morning, I immediately get a glass of water because I'm just zonked and dehydrated. And then I'll go downstairs and I'll journal for a couple of minutes and just have a little bit of quiet time. And then I try to get exercise in. For me in the last year and a half, the, the physical part of my routine has become absolutely essential. I feel like that is where I think the best. I decompress. I think about what's going on in the day, the week, the month, all of those things. So I knock that out. And then I come home and 
pick up the pace, the kids are up and it's, you know, a thousand miles an hour starting after that. And then my night routine is really planning for the next day. You know, what do I need to get done that wasn't done the, in the day that I intended? What do I need to shift over? What can I cut off? You know, those to-do lists, some of the things on there aren't quite as essential as we thought they were. So if they weren't, they're getting X'd off. Um, and really planning for the next day and how can I set myself up to not be in a state of reaction, just to be really proactive in what I'm doing that next day. And it's really allowed me to step into my day much more confidently than I used to. It was always a very reactive morning. And now I feel like I have much more control of, okay, what's coming in. I'm already feel ahead of the game and it just has impacted everything throughout my life and business. I just, I'm in a more, more comfortable state instead of, you know, oh, my hair's on fire. <laughs> let's, let's skateboard into the day a thousand miles an hour. And the the best. Well, there's still going to be chaos, especially with a three and a five-year-old. I remember when mm. my kids were little, like stuff happens. You're like surprised someone woke up at 2 a.m. throwing up. Um, and then you're totally that all morning and rearranging everything in your head. Instead, it's a little bit, it's still chaos, but it's organized chaos. Right. Yes. And it allows those curveballs to not impact me so much. Um, for instance, my five-year-old two nights ago, he fell out of bed. It was a whole ordeal. You know, everybody's up for another two hours trying to like calm him down. And, but it didn't, the day still ran more smoothly because I'd already prepped for the day the night before. So it just makes the days a little, little bit easier. Any sort of hidden edge we can give ourselves, I, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. So we're not running off our hair on fire and also too, so we can be in that grounded space and share our gifts. I think when mm -hmm. we're in this chaotic space, if we're not grounded, how are we able then to serve our clients and also share our stories, share our gifts. And that's what I want to talk with you today, because I know you've done that with so many people you've had, um, you know, so many places in media and helped people place people into media to really mm -hmm. launch their careers and things like that. So um, I want to talk a little bit about you and how you got involved with this mm -hmm. right? and how it changed things for you, because we can talk about, you know, the return on investment on PR. We can talk about how, you know, how to do it or why it's so great. But at the end of the day, I want to hear how it impacted you. How did getting into media um, change things for you? Mm -hmm. And maybe what were some of the challenges along the way? I know like sure. a lot of times, it's hard to share your own story, especially if it's difficult. You know, you want to speak from a scar, not an open wound. Um, right. That's from uh, uh, Carrie, who was on a, another podcast. Imposter syndrome can pop up and things like that. So I'd like to share a little bit about your story and why you found PR so important for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, throughout my life, I've always been in sales, marketing, anything that really involved people. I always loved connecting with people, but it was a series of jobs. I never felt deeply driven by any of those things that I did. I loved the people that I worked with, but it just didn't feel like it was aligned with what I was meant to be doing. And one day I took a job doing PR for public speakers, which I didn't even know was a job until it came across my, my plate. And Lo and behold, so many light bulbs went off. I was like, oh, I am really good at this. And I love this work. It is deeply meaningful. And it really, I got to see in real time 
the impact that was made when people had the courage to tell their story. So at that point, I was new in that job, dealing with a lot of imposter syndrome at that point. I had a friend who was in a car accident when we were 19. He became paralyzed. He was moving back to Charleston and he had the opportunity to obtain a machine called an exoskeleton that essentially would allow him to walk again. The caveat was that he had to raise $80,000 in a matter of weeks to be able to keep this machine. And he wanted to be the first paralyzed man to do the Cooper River Bridge run, which is a huge run here in Charleston. It's, it's one of the main runs in the country. But I told Adam, I was like, listen, I don't know what, what I, we need to do, but I know we need to get the media involved. And at that time, I was, I mean, a baby in dealing with media. I had no idea. I'm like calling the local paper five feet down the road. But I knew that we had to get media involved because the influence of the media is just so impactful. So I hit the ground running and like went in the trenches, like four hours a day after I got off work, I was on the computer creating the world's worst pitches. It was just terrible. And learning in real time what I needed to do, what needed to happen. Well, long story short, it started to work and the pitching got better and media started to pick the story up. Stephen Colbert got involved at the time. Nobody knew him then, but um, the star of Black Panther, who everybody everybody knows now, Black Panther had not come out yet, but I knew because I was so into movies, I was like, this guy's going to be a household name. So I got in touch with his team. They got involved and we started raising a ton of money, a ton of exposure, and Adam raised the money. And that experience of seeing this friend of mine who had been paralyzed, be able to walk across this bridge and this race was one of the most fulfilling things that has ever happened to me. And all cylinders were firing at that point. I was like, this is where I need to be. Like, I need to help people share their stories. At the time I was working for an incredibly toxic leader and it was coming to the point where I would come in every day in tears. That's not who I am. I'm a incredibly joyful person. I was so stressed out. I was pregnant. And I talked to my husband and I said, I have to go. Like, I can't put a baby through this kind of stress. So I resigned. I went to work for a law firm that had been courting me. They were amazing, but that wasn't the work that I was connected to. And about six months into that job, old clients started calling and they were like, you were the one that we want to, we want to work with. How do we make this happen? And I had a a lot of fear. I mean, a lot of fear, but told my husband, I was like, this is, I need to explore this. And thankfully my boss at the time, very entrepreneurial, knew my heart was in storytelling and really encouraged me to take this side hustle and start building it. And eventually it overtook my income at the law firm. And yeah, you know, I had to make a choice. I just, I was completely stretched at bandwidth and so I went in to do the business and I never, ever, ever thought I would be an entrepreneur ever wasn't in the cards. And I started building and building and building. And, you know, you're, you're building the plane as you're flying it so many times in your life. I think part of that never goes away. If you are growing and stretching, you're going to be facing imposter syndrome and fear and all of those things. But it was really the reality of knowing inherently that I could figure it out. Even if I couldn't see the path right then, I knew that I was capable of figuring it out and 
trusting myself to just take the next right step. And I have done that for years now. And the company has changed a number of times. The focus has changed. It's grown. But my clients make me so fulfilled. I joke all the time that I should be paying them instead of vice versa, because these are just people who are absolutely experts in what they do. I mean, I work with everyone from cruise directors to creative geniuses who were at Pixar to former presidential candidates. And the things that I learn are just, you can't measure it. I mean, it's so priceless to be able to sit and help these people create their content and their keynotes and all of these things. And I just feel so fortunate that I trusted myself enough, even when I didn't know the path to step forward and trust that I could figure it out. Yeah. I think one of the greatest and almost required skill for any entrepreneur, thank you for sharing that story. That was just awesome. So, and he raised the 80,000, obviously. And watched he raised it and he's around the country now. He raises money now for um, other disabled athletes. He calls them re-enabled athletes and raises money mm-hmm. for them around the country. And it's just, it's such a beautiful thing that he's done. And I'm so proud of him. And that's the power of an incredible story. You move people to take inspired action. And we just see that again and again and again in our lives. And I am just so thankful to be a small part in some of these stories and helping make lives better. Yeah. I mean, reading inspirational stories, I have to say that's some, I mean, I love to do it. And even sometimes on some darker days of, as an entrepreneur, you have great days and you have not so great Mm -hmm. days, reading inspirational stories or reading about miracles, or what was it? Someone was saying, look up um, fishermen who have found wedding wings in fish and then gotten back to own, like all these miracles because they're inscribed, right? So they can get it back. Oh, and, that's wild. Like looking at when you have like, you know, these um, tough days, but the, yeah. I think that one of the defining traits of an entrepreneur, I think it's funny. You're like, I never would be one is um, you can, uh, everything is figure outable has Marie mm-hmm. Leo would say is having that ability. Like, Hey, I don't know how to do this, but I can figure it out. I'm smart enough. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? The Sally feel I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm awful at remembering quotes, but, um, and figuring out, cause you are building the plane as you're flying it. Absolutely. Sounds crazy, but that's how it is. But, um, yeah, but sharing, well, let's talk a little bit about this is that we all have a story in us, just like we all have a great play in us. Mm-hmm. Um, what, why, I don't just, why aren't people sharing it? What have you seen? What's the biggest barrier for people to share their story? There's two, and I won't say hundred percent of the time, but it's 99.999% of the time. It's one of these two reasons. They either lack the confidence or they lack the roadmap. Hmm. So, so often I hear people say, I don't have a story. And then you sit down with them for 10 minutes and they start talking. They're like, wait, what? Like, yes, you do. Everyone does. I mean, we are all individually the accumulation of every experience, every conversation, every trauma, every joy. Everyone is so unique. And the things that we have learned, I truly believe that you will never come across someone in your life that you can't learn something from. And so 
there's that thing, right? Like, I don't have a story. Yes, you do. And then people know they have a story, but they have no idea how to share it. And it can be very overwhelming. I get it. You know, we're living in a world where you have a portal in your hand to every piece of information humanity has ever known. Every single conversation, you can reach someone in any area of the world. Like it can be very overwhelming to open up your phone or computer and be like, huh, I want to get this out of the world. Where do I start? Like that can seem like a lot. So that's what I really try and help people do is figure out that path that's best for them and their goals and the impact that they want to make. And then instill the confidence in them that yes, that story is there. I mean, my whole company came to be because I believe that if you have a story or a skill set that can make someone's life better, you should be sharing that thing. We as a collective will get so much farther, so much faster if we would just open up and start talking about the things that bring us joy or the things that we struggle with. You know, you and I were speaking earlier. So often people feel alone in whatever they're doing, whether it's building a business or going through a relationship or being a parent. And we think we are singular in what we are feeling and experiencing and we're not. And the second that somebody starts talking about that or their own experience or providing a skill set that they have learned over decades of time, why would we not share those things to make somebody else's life easier or to help someone feel like they're not alone? The only way we do that is when people have the courage to speak up and be like, hey, I went through this or hey, I know this and I wanna help you cross that bridge. That, that's what it's all about. And so if I can be a piece of helping make that easier for people, I'm all in. Yeah. And helping them have the courage to share it because there could be some, just like with any story, there's, um, there's heroes and there's villains and Mm -hmm. there's emotions. And some Mm -hmm. of those things may still feel raw, but also, I mean, I've seen entrepreneurs where we're working on something and say with QuickBooks and someone today is working on QuickBooks and it was just a really painful, something that we were looking at for them. And I'm like, just so you know, like, this is 75% of my clients have the same mm-hmm. issue. And they're like, what? I thought, I thought I was the only one. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I'm like, no, not at all. Like, this is really common. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is normal. In fact, congratulations. You just hit another milestone as an entrepreneur yep. because this is coming up and you can watch their shoulders drop. Like, oh, I'm okay. This mm-hmm. is normal. I'm not alone. And there's something yes. to say about that in human nature, how um, fulfilling that is to hear that. And I deal with that all the time on the public speaking side. We have these assumptions that public speakers are just these uber confident, you know, never have self-doubt. They walk up on stage, they crush it. They walk up every single day. I'm having conversations with clients who are so nervous. Who am I to tell this story? Will they accept? And I mean, these are people at the top of their game, wildly respected around the country, around the world for what they do. But on the inside, they're still dealing with, you know, that time they got picked on in sixth grade. And that's like still coming up. And they're an adult who runs a multi-million dollar company, is changing lives every day and having all this impact, but they still have those things. And we all have those things that we're trying to overcome from six years old to 60. And when I tell them like, you're 
everyone, everyone I work with deals with this in some capacity. Like take a breath. It, it is exactly what you said. The shoulders relax. It's like, oh, I'm not the loser that thinks that I'm not worthy of doing this. It's like, <laughs> exactly. no, we all I, go through that. Yeah. And it takes courage. I mean, even courage to reach out and talk with you to see what could be the next step. And I think courage is, I mean, the definition is even in the, it's not the lack of fear. It's even in the face of fear, That's right. you continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think too, that's such a good reminder that another thing is sometimes these stories are bigger than us. Like sometimes when someone goes through something, it may not even be for, it's for them, but it could be for their story to be shared to inspired others. And so it's mm-hmm. bigger than us. So mm-hmm. sometimes I say, you know, get out, get out of your own way to helping others and don't mm-hmm. make it personal. This needs to be shared to help other people. That's not always, you know, that's easier said than done, but it's something to embrace what happened so that you can help others. Um, that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. And I think a really good perspective shift for anyone who is thinking about sharing their story and they have that nervousness. I'll give you an example. I worked with a client years ago who was running a healthcare company that literally could save lives. The more and more people that hear about what she was doing, it, it was a life-saving thing. She was not wanting to share that story because she was afraid of any sort of potential backlash that she would get online, right? So we open up our computers and the more and more visible you are, the more and more vulnerable you become. Her fear about some keyboard cowboy sitting in a basement who's never done anything to improve anyone's life, sitting there and commenting on what she's done, was about to stop her from getting this company out in the world who could save someone's mom, someone's child, someone's uncle, like no dice. And so the perspective shift there is sometimes when we step out of ourselves and see us more as like a vessel for a message, And that it's our experience and all the things that we have learned and gone through make us the perfect vessel for this message to just step out of yourself for a minute and see the end game. It's so much bigger. And I I congratulate clients when they get their first bit of hate online. Congratulations. You have made it because that is the nature of the beast. We have to stop being so tied to people who as Brene Brown says, who aren't in the arena, who cares? The people that sit online and don't achieve anything, but making some comment about what someone else has done, they're losers anyway. Why are you letting them impact your life? If someone has enough time in the day to go criticize someone else in that way, one, they need a hobby, but two, I feel sorry for them. Like you've got enough time in your day to go do that. Why don't you go create something? Why don't you go contribute something instead of being critical of the people who are contributing and are creating? And we have to step out of our own way and our own fear. And the message that we are delivering has got to be bigger than that fear. And just like you said, it's courage is not the absence of it. And this is all the difference in people who live life with mediocrity and people who really fulfill what their purpose is, they, they feel that fear. We all feel that same thing, but you have to step through it anyway. You have to go anyway. And that's the way that you 
that your fears become less and less and less when you engage with them and you see how silly they were in the first place. And then you move to the bigger fear and then you move to the bigger fear. And it's just, it's a series of overcoming those things because everything that we want and everything that is fulfilling and the impact that we want to make, it is on the other side of that fear that you're feeling. So yeah, I, I'm so glad you said that. It's just a perspective shift. Like the, the impact has got to be bigger than your fear. And yes. it always is. And to see it that way, see it and, mm -hmm. and have um, someone like Whitney to talk to about it, I suggest too, would be really helpful, right? To have someone to kind of give um, this perspective too, I think is important and congra congratulate them. Um, mm -hmm. I've got nasty DMs. I've got nasty things. I mean, and I always look and see who they are just because I'm interested. Yep. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? This lady in Kansas that make quilts is very mad at me about talking about masculine and feminine energy in a sales process. <laughs> Nothing against quilting. I'm just like, that's interesting. Yeah. Godspeed, Karen. Um, <laughs> Um, but the, oh, you're absolutely right. You said that so well, the only way through this, um, is through it to go through, you can't mm -hmm. go over it with a children's book. You've written a children's book. Can't go in, mm -hmm. uh, in it. Wait, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. Can't go around it. You have to go through it. That's right. Um, and yeah. that's the only way to do it. And I think that's just not always easy and to have support around you as you move forward and see that it's, you are the vessel. Like you said, you are the vessel of this message to help move this forward. Um, and this can change everything, not for you, but for others too, which is just, well, and I think it's very important. We have this misconception in society that confidence is a personality trait. It's not confidence is a skill set, and it can be built just like any other skill set. And the way that you build confidence is keeping promises to yourself. So from everything from you have this little, you have this goal of, okay, I'm going to do my morning routine and go work out five days a week because I know I feel better when I do that. Every time I get up and keep that promise to myself, I become more confident. Every time I sleep in, I become less confident. Every time I walk through something, whether it's a, a tiny fear or a big one, every time I step on stage and give a speech, I get nervous, but I've done it a hundred times. So I understand that like, yes, you feel this right now. You're going to walk out there. You're going to be fine. It's going to be great. You're going to walk off and you're going to do it again next week. Like, so it becomes less and less and less and less. And we have to keep showing up for those things that make us afraid because they become smaller the more we confront them. That's so true. I think if anyone's ever spoken on stage for the first time, I remember hands shaking, like literally you could see my hands doing this. Oh, yeah. Like the sweat, uh, I'm sorry, the deodorant has failed yep. hour, like an hour ago. <laughs> yes. You know, and you're claiming and you're like, oh my gosh, and adrenaline's running. And then they put the mic in your hand and something comes out of your mouth. And you're like, I don't know what I said. <laughs> you just are black smiling out. <laughs> and someone started laughing. So hopefully this is okay. But now I'm like, I can't, you know, when a mic comes around, I'm like, okay, let's do this. I'll figure mm -hmm. it out, whatever it is. That's right. I love being on panels. Um, let, let's talk about, and I love that you said confidence is a skill to be learned. It is not, mm -hmm. people are not born confident, um, but it's a skill to be learned. And it's about keeping promises to yourself because then you can start to trust yourself. That's right. Confidence is about trust. Um, and that also strengthens your intuition. It just goes hand in hand, that confidence. Yes, absolutely. So what if someone is like, the, what's a baby step here? Someone's like, okay, I have a story. I'm an entrepreneur what would be step one? Where do they, where do they start? 
So I think the first thing to really think about is what's your, I call it the North Star. What is the impact that you ultimately want to make? And thinking about all those things that go around it, you know, who is the person that you want to impact? And nine out of 10 times, your ideal audience for an impact story is who you used to be. So when you come to the other side and you've learned something, it's like, okay, who was I a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Who was that woman that I want to take her hand and say, this is where you could be if you do X, Y, Z. So that's a really easy way to figure out your audience. So thinking about that and then thinking about, okay, what were the steps that I took to get there? So if it's like more of you have an inspirational story that you want to share, that's absolutely it. Like what was the path that I took to get there? And it's a lot easier to figure that out looking in hindsight, right? When we're in the middle of the vortex, it's hard to see those things, but looking back, okay, let's figure this out. What are the steps? And then really figuring out how you want to help those people. Is it through speaking? Is it through just sharing your story in a book? Is it through coaching men and women? There's a plethora of ways that you can do it. It really needs to align with your personality and where you really feel heart-centered and called to help. What do you like better? Do you like one-on-one? Do you love making a whole audience laugh? Like all of those things, just consider all those. And then getting really clear on what that message and what that transformation is so that you can figure out how to market that thing. So getting with someone, whether it's, you know, a me or a content specialist or whoever it may be, but figuring out, okay, what do we need to create here to help people understand that I have the one, two, three to help them get here? And this is something else that I want people to understand about sharing their story. If I want to learn to play golf, I'm not going to hire Tiger Woods, right? I'm going to hire the local golf pro at the country club to help me learn how to play golf. I don't need Tiger Woods. I need someone who is a few years and a few steps ahead of me. That's who I'm hiring. And we often get caught up and a lot of people do not share their story or their skills because they're like, well, I'm not the Tiger Woods of this. You don't have to be. You have to be ahead of where your audience is. Like, I am not, I'll give you an example. I've hated running my whole life. A year and a half ago, I started running because I knew it was a mental game. Like I'm running a half marathon, a marathon this year. I don't have to be Usain Bolt to be able to help my friend figure out how to get on a running path. Like I can just share that experience with her and be like, well, this is what I did. And this is what I struggled with. And here was the pitfalls here. And this is the race I signed up for to help me feel more confident here. That is how we help people naturally. So I want people to, to take that same idea and apply that to speaking and publicity. Like we're just, we're helping in that same way but on a bigger scale, but you don't have to be the absolute best in the world to be able to help a group of people. You just have to be ahead of where they are because everybody has to hit that next stepping stone. And as you know, we learn as we teach. So the more people you can help, the faster, better, stronger you're going to be at what you know. So I really want to make that clear because that's a huge hang up for people that's imposter syndrome. I haven't done this long enough. I 
haven't won enough awards in this. I haven't done any of that. It's like, no. And in public speaking, a really great example of that is Tony Robbins. He didn't have 27 degrees before he started. He just started. And he is now the most influential public speaker who has ever walked the face of the earth. And his first thing was talking to a group of seven people. Like you have to start somewhere. What's that saying? The the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Yes. I mean, take a small step to start today. And as far as small steps go, if you see someone in your sphere or not even in your sphere who is doing what you want to do, send a message, pick up the phone, send an email, get in touch with them. People that live in abundance want to help other people. They are not threatened by giving away the the secrets and the shortcuts that they have learned in doing this for years. They want to help you get there. And we are so afraid that we are going to offend somebody or be rejected that we don't pick up that phone. That is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. Start surrounding yourself with people who are already there. Yeah. Oh God. There's so many goodness. What you just said, (laughs) this is so good. Whitney, I love this so much. Um, You have to be a page ahead Mm -hmm. and you, and be willing to share that story and know that you're not the best. And also I feel like the, you know, the sister to imposter syndrome is perfectionism. If I'm not the best, I'm not going to do anything at all. Or if I can't do it exactly right, I'm not going to do it at all. So we, and we spin in these cycles. I see it more with women than men. Absolutely. And I can tell you with my clients, it is much more prevalent with women. What did they say? I can't remember the statistics. I was just talking to someone on a podcast is that men, kids, even as children, boys, if a teacher asks a question in class, boys are more likely to raise their hand before they even know the answer. And women will wait, girls will wait until they know the answer, then raise their hand. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same goes for adults, I think too, is, you know, women won't apply for a job unless they're 100%, 110% qualified, Mm -hmm. men only 30%. Yeah, yeah, it's like something crazy low and they're going for it. (laughs) I could make this happen, right? Now that's that's a generalization, right? That's statistics, that's not everyone, of course, but so interesting. Um, this This has been so great. How can people... People need to find you. How can people find you, Whitney? Um, so one of the, I practice what I preach. One of the things about being visible is you've got to be consistent. So you can find me anywhere on social online at Whitney McDuff. Please come find me, reach out if you've got questions. I love answering things about helping people share their story. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on all social platforms at Whitney McDuff and WhitneyMcDuff.com is where you can find me on, on the internet. Awesome. I love it. Whitney, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a blast. Of course. And thank you everyone for listening. I appreciate you and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this conversation. I'm Jamie Rowe with Look What She Built, the one and only podcast that celebrates the brave, bold and badass women who are doing business their way and telling us about it. Until next time, go show the world what an iconic woman looks like. Please share this with three women because we all need to share positive messages in the world. And if you want to learn more, please connect with me on social at impact to income.